Our second reading is the Gospel from Matthew chapter 13, and I just want to draw your attention back again to just a few words that Matt read to you from 1 Corinthians. Remember that he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God is making it grow. Now, as we look at Matthew chapter 13, we hear this parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now that's the text, but when I was looking at it, and I should tell you right away, don't worry about an outline up here. Don't go back to the outline that's in your worship folder. I have the prerogative of changing my mind on what to preach about. If God leads me to something different, that's where I intend to go. But I want to just continue with one more verse from Matthew chapter 13 in, this, in, the, in the sower. I'm going to read verse 10. And in verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, we know Jesus told a lot of parables. In fact, this morning in adult Bible class, we looked at two of them. We looked at the parable of the prodigal son. We looked at the parable about the unforgiving servant. Now, why, though, did Jesus use parables? Now, I'm going to take you back to when I was in grade school. And understand, I went to a Lutheran grade school, St. John's Lutheran grade school in Seward, Nebraska. And one of my teachers there uh, gave us a definition of a parable that has stuck with me all these many years. He said, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, I want to show you how that works with the parable that we're looking at today, uh, this parable of the sower. But I also want to remind you that Jesus didn't do this so that his listeners would learn how to farm. Uh, he is using this illustration about farming to teach them one great big heavenly truth. Now, of course, it's pretty easy sometimes to get confused about what Jesus is saying, but he is not saying that he spoke in parables so that some people would not be willing to understand or would not be able to understand. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus said, I use parables because that's the only way some people can actually understand. See, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. Uh, there is such an incredible truth this morning about the seed that has been planted in everyone who's ever heard the word of God that Jesus wants to make sure that none of you miss understanding what this is all about. So Jesus gave us these stories, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings, these parables. And, and in his world of the first century... Uh, he used stories from their culture. He used stories from their traditions. He used stories from their everyday lives to make it understandable. 
Now, I got to thinking the other day, if Jesus had landed in East Texas in the 21st century instead of the Middle East in the 1st century, I think he'd have still told parables. Some people would say he spun yarns, I suppose, but he'd tell parables. He just would have used illustrations about, like, ranch life. He would have probably thought about reality shows like The Real Women of Bowie County. He probably would have told parables about longhorns and razorbacks and rangers and cowboys and, and on and on. Well, with that kind of little background, let's jump into this parable. You know, the heart of this parable is found in the words that were read earlier in the chapter, and it probably is one of the most easy of all Jesus' parables to understand. Now, the reason it's really easy is because I read you the first ten verses. In the tenth verse, the disciples ask what? Why do you teach in parables? And guess what? For me, verses 11 to 20, Jesus explains the parable. It's one of very few parables that he actually explains. So using this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, I want to kind of summarize what Jesus says, and I want to kind of draw out four truths here that Jesus is trying to convey about the power of the seed. Now, here's the first thing that I want you to understand, and it's this. The seed, that's the seed of the gospel, by the way, the seed of the gospel cannot penetrate a hardened heart. The seed cannot penetrate a hardened heart. Now, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 from the text again, then I'm going to read the verse 19 that explains it. It says, The farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Then later, in verse 19, Jesus says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart, that is, the seed sown along the path. Now, understand that farming was really different back in the days of Jesus than it is now. The walking paths used to be right up next to the fields. I mean, today, you know, our fields are out in the fields. We don't, generally don't have walking paths by them. Uh, and so people, in order to get different places, might have a walking path right through the middle of a field. Uh, and they did not have some sophisticated way to go plant those seeds. How many people have ever seen the state capitol in Lincoln, Nebraska? I knew a couple of Nebraska people have been there. On the top of the state capitol, do you remember what's on the top? It's the sower and his seed. There's a giant statue, and the guy's got that bag slung around his neck, and he's, got, he's like that. He's sowing the seed. So that's how they used to do it, reach in the bag and then scatter that seed. I mean, it's, a, it's an old way of doing it. And so the seed landed wherever he threw it. Some of it landed out in the field, but guess what? Some of it also landed on the walking paths. Now, the walking paths were so hard, it would be like probably throwing them on top of a pool table or something like that. It would either uh, get trampled down or the birds would come back and they would see it and they would eat it. Now, this is a particularly powerful part of the parable and it's just good for us to be reminded that we are in the midst of a invisible yet very real spiritual battle and the enemy will do anything he can to prevent you from taking God seriously in your life. If the seed within you is going to grow, you've got to protect it. It can't be out there on the hard paths where the birds munch on it or where people trample it. 
Now, the, how do you do that? How do you make sure that the seed gets where it goes and, and, where, and does what it's supposed to? Well, the way you do it, I don't know, this seems to make sense to me. Uh, what you do is you decide that God's word, right there, that God's word is too valuable for you, too valuable to you, to ever kind of leave it laying around so that it would be trampled on or stolen away from you. Have you noticed, I, I thought about this the other day, have you read about what's going on in Afghanistan? Somebody burned a Koran and it set off all sorts of rioting. Burn a Bible in our country, nothing happens. Now you could probably say, well, they're nuts over there and at least we're sane. Now I suppose that'd be one argument. But I want to suggest to you that they may take their, quote, Bible more seriously than we take ours. In fact, if you want to get into the largest Muslim university in the world, in Egypt, one entrance requirement is that you have the entire Quran memorized. How much of your Bible do you have memorized? Well, the Quran is roughly the equivalent of our New Testament. So I'll narrow it down. How much of that do you have memorized? They, they take it very important. Now, I guess I put it this way. If they take something that is wrong, that important, and don't be burning anything outside the building today because I said that, why do we take this so lightly? See, here's what I'm saying. You can understand God's will for your life and his word as revealed here in scripture. But you have to be willing to turn your heart and your mind toward it. Now, the Bible is not beyond your intellectual capabilities. I mean, the Bible is not what we'd call quantum physics here. But I'll tell you, here's a good, good comparison. Two people, two people can be seated under the exact same teaching on a Sunday morning, and one of them will be deeply impacted. They will be touched to the core of their being. Their heart will stir inside of them. And the other person can sit there and be totally unmoved, totally unfazed, totally untouched. Why is that? Well, some people say, well, the pastor's not all that interesting. The pastor wasn't talking to me. Well, I got news for you, folks. It's not about the pastor. The word is the word is the word. Same word, whether it comes out of a dull person or a sharp person. The difference is one person recognizes that the seed has been sown. The other one, with their hard heart, doesn't recognize it. Probably many of you know the name John Wesley. We sing some of his hymns in our hymnal. He's the founder of the Methodist Church, and one time he was actually robbed at gunpoint. The man told him, your money or your life. Well, Wesley gave him everything he had, but before the man could ride off on his horse, he yelled at him, he said, hold it, I got one more thing to give you. And the thief turned around, and he said, sir, you may one day regret the life that you have chosen. If you ever do, Know that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you of your sins. 
Now, years later, Wesley was preaching at a revival, and afterwards, a total stranger came up to me after the service and said, I don't know whether you remember me, but I am the man who once robbed you. I thought about what you said, and I gave my life to Christ. I'm no longer a thief, but I'm a successful businessman in this town. I owe all I am to you and your words to me. Now, what made a difference in that man? Well, he made a choice to hear. He made a choice to listen. He made a choice to pay attention. He made a choice to value the Word of God, this sacred wisdom. And when he did, everything about his life changed for the better. That's the power of the seed. That's what we call sacred wisdom. Now, here's the second thing I want you to know. If you will soften the soil, you know, stir it up, plow it up, soften the soil, the seed will get planted deep and the power of God will be upon you. Now, going back into the text again, verses 5 and 6. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they, they had no root. Now, Jesus goes on and explains this. He said, the one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since it has no root, he lasts only a short time. Porquito, a little bit. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. I just got back from preaching and teaching I had about four, five, almost five days down at Louisiana State Prison in Angola. Virtually every church service down there ends the same way, and that's with an altar call. I have seen guys get saved every time a new preacher comes to town. It happens. Why is that? I want to suggest to you that the seed is there, he hears it, but it's falling on rocky ground. He doesn't have depth, you know, and sooner or later, what's going to happen? When trouble and persecution come back, they're going to, going to revert right back to what they know best. You know, I've been in the ministry. This summer is going to be 25 years as a pastor. It'll be 45 years altogether in some form of ministry. And you know, one of the sad realities is that not everybody who starts out well finishes. Jesus said some Seeds fall in a soil that's not on a hard path, but the soil isn't very deep. And so when that sun comes down, it's burned up because the root never gets down to where the moisture, the nutrients are. It kind of withers up, gone. That's why the journey is much more than emotions. A lot of people get very emotional sometimes in a church service. They get stirred up. And so when they say, y'all come down to the altar, oh, wow, they, you know, they're all stirred up with emotion and they come. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It feels good to follow Jesus. It feels good to know your sins are forgiven. It feels good to know that your future is in heaven. But emotion alone, alone cannot take you the full journey. You've got to let the roots of your, you know, get into the heart of who you are. That means making room for Jesus in the busy, the busy life for the Lord. Now, if we only grant that seed to live in the shallow parts of our lives, it will never grow because emotions come and go. Challenges to our faith 
begin, and so we're very vulnerable to burning out. Now, how is that prevented? Well, I'd say the best way is to go on offense. You do it by taking the very first day of the week like we are today. And you gather together and you begin the first day of every week with the Lord. You're here in worship. You, you find a Bible that you can actually understand. I took along two Bibles with me uh, this time down to prison. I, I always somehow have extra Bibles. I had a King James Version and I had a copy of The Message. And on the last day, I said, I, I've got a, does anybody here really need a Bible? And I had a few guys in my class that I don't know that if they had a Bible, they had one like a little Gideon Testament. And that's not the complete Bible. I said, who needs one? Well, a few hands went up. And I said, I've got the King James. And somebody went, that's the one I want. Because, you know, that's, that's the language God speaks. Beseechest, whithersoeverest, that kind of language. And I said, I got the message. And I said, I'm going to give this first Bible away to the guy whose birthday's closest to mine. And there's a guy whose birthday is like a day after me. He came up, he took the Bible, he said, can I look at both of these a minute? I said, sure, we got plenty of time. He sat down and he, he looked up a couple of passages in the old King James and he opened up the message and he got there and he looked at the same passage. He's going back and forth, back and forth. He said, I'm going to take this one. And he left that King James laying there. Now, I'm not saying that that's the best thing because the message is kind of a paraphrase a little bit. But guess what? It, it was a whole lot easier for him to understand. It's a great version to read if you've never really read it before. You know, what else do you do? You spend time with old friends and new friends who love the Lord, and together you kind of grow deeper and deeper. Now, when that happens, you begin to understand the power of the seed. I mean, the seed doesn't make your problems go away, but it sure gives you new power to withstand them and overcome them. The power of the seed doesn't take difficult people out of your life either. But it does give you the power to not let them de de destroy your happiness or joy. The power of the seed doesn't take away the confrontation you're going to have with the devil who wants to steal your joy, but it does equip you to know what? According to 1 John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Now here's the third thing I'd like to tell you, Dick. If you don't continue to pay attention to the seed that's planted in you, other things in the world will start to get more important and the power of the seed will be cut off in your life. I'm going to say that again. If you don't continue to pay attention to the seed of the word in your life, other things are going to crowd it out and the power will be gone. This is the way it tells it in the scripture. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. <clears throat> Here's Jesus' explanation in verse 22. The one who received the word that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. I read something very interesting in the last month. It's uh, according to the Barna Institute. Now, George Barna is a Christian man who surveys Christians. That's what he does for a living. In his la one of his last things, he found out that only four, four out of ten people who claim to be Christian say that they are absolutely committed to their Christian faith. You get that? That only four out of 
every 10 Christians is totally committed to their faith. Now, what that means is that 60% of the people he surveyed have yet to make planting that seed deep in their life a true priority of life. Now, I think this is probably particularly true of us here in America. It is hard to imagine any other place in this world where we struggle more with our time, with our priorities, and our purpose. We kind of chase our tail all the time, but we never ever catch it. See, the power of the seed is realized only when it is raised to such an elevation in your life that it has priority over other things that might be good, but guess what? It doesn't have priority over something that is truly great. See, good things come and go. But great things stand the test of time and are worth our commitment and sacrifice. Now, some of us have a long, long way to go when it comes to making Jesus absolute number one in our life. And then understand there's no numbers two, three, four, five, whatever. Let me give you one of the most vivid examples of this that I've seen in my life. Several years ago, I was preaching in India when a part of the service, a young teenage girl came forward to give her life to Jesus, to be a Christian. And she was baptized immediately. After the service, I happened to notice a rather beat up old, worn out piece of luggage uh, leaning against the wall in the back of the church. I asked the pastor about it, and he said that suitcase belongs to that young lady who gave her life to Jesus this morning. Her father told her this morning that if she followed through with her decision and chose to be baptized and chose to be a believer in Jesus, she could never come home again. So today she brought everything she owns in that suitcase. You think the seed was important to that young woman? Would it be that important to you that you'd be willing to turn your back on everything else? Here's number four. If you plant the seed, well, God plants the seed, but if you water the seed, protect the seed, you can know that a great harvest is coming your way. Verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160, 30 times what is sown. Then he explains it a little bit later in verse 23. But the one who uh, received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred sixty or 30 times what is sown. Now, most of you probably know I'm a little bit of a sports nut. I really love football, basketball, and baseball. And for the longest time in my life, I really loved baseball. I wanted to be a major league baseball player more than anything else, but only one thing kept that from happening. Talent. Now, the Christian life is different. Success in baseball is determined by talent, you know, like the ability to hit the curveball. Success as a follower of Jesus is not based on talent. It's based on obedience. That's why Jesus closes this parable with a wonderful promise. He's saying that the man or woman who takes this word of God, this sacred wisdom, seriously 
gives it priority, reshapes their lives and according to the principles of God's word, putting them, put themselves in a position for an enormous harvest, 30 times, 60 times, 100 times more. Who knows how much God has in store out there to reward you when you take care of the seed. See, he told this parable to help you understand the tremendous potential that is before you whenever you take him and his seed seriously. When you take it as seriously as some of the other stuff you take seriously in your life. In fact, I think God would probably say, you know, some of you need to take the word of God as seriously as you take your job. In fact, more serious. You ought to take it more seriously than you take your family. You ought to take it more seriously than you do your vacation time. See, ultimately, you may or may not be pleased with the return on your investment in earthly things, but guess what? God promises an investment gain nothing on earth can begin to touch. See, the power of the seed is that great, and what happens to it all depends upon how you choose to respond to it. See, that's why Jesus closed this parable with these words, and it's with these words that I also close my message. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Our response to the message is a Lenten song. It's number 450. 